before I dive into the message, um, I, I, want, I want to describe to you my perspective. We're going to talk about some things that are very sensitive and are very divisive in our country. And I want to just give some disclaimers. It's just a clear disclaimer of where I'm coming from uh, as I present the Word of God. And, and Brandy, would you show that picture that I asked you to bring up? I don't know if you can bring it up. Did you? Where, is this going to take a second? All right, there it is. Okay. You see that picture right there? That picture is heaven to me. <laughs> Let me just tell you my story. My name is, I, I, am, I am a son of, of an immigrant, of, an, of a, an immigrant mother, a migrant mother, who came from Dominican Republic to the United States to offer me and my siblings a better life. She worked cleaning hotels all day long, and at night she would work at a garage rebuilding transmissions. Because she believed that in America, I would have a better chance. And I remember going to school afraid, not knowing English, not knowing, you know, how things were going to be for me and hungry. And one of the greatest things that ever happened to me was lunch in elementary school. (laughs) Glory. I never, ever conceived being from the Dominican Republic anything as free lunch. The whole thought, it was just like, glory to God, he lives. (laughs) This was my first free lunch. And you, they must have looked at me like, boy, this is, this is, I'm telling you, I'm the poster kid for adopt me for 25 cents a day, right? (laughs) Listen, this was so good. I was so happy. I could not believe it. And you know what? I want to tell you this. I just want to say this disclaimer. I feel better. I know you may think I'm crazy, but I feel better already. I just want to tell you this. I love this country. I love this country. I love the freedom that we have in this country. I love democracy. I love democracy. I love the fact that we can have different opinions and we can be one. You know? I love the fact that we can respect each other in that. And I just, I'm going to talk about some tough things, and I want you to understand it doesn't come from a heart that hates this nation. I love America, and I am thankful for the privilege of being an American. I became a citizen of this nation. I had a choice. You did it. <laughs> right? I, I, I'm just, I became a citizen of this nation. I am appreciative of all that I, that I have been given because of a democracy, right? And because of this thing. So I want you to know, I love this country. I'm not, and the things that I'm going to share do not speak negatively about anything. And if you feel like I'm getting negative, just remember, free lunch. It's got me. I'm sold. They had me at free lunch. Amen? All right. Pastor, you need help. I know. That's why I'm here. All right. Today, I want to talk to you about God and country and our responsibility. And we begin this series where we're going to dive into understanding as Christians what is our position here in this nation and where does America stand in the eyes of God. My desire is to share with you what the Bible teaches us about how we as believers are to engage with our government, our nation, and our present reality. My hope is to share with you messages that will address the following. What can we learn from Israel's history and what the Bible teaches us about Israel? How does our faith in Jesus inform who we should vote for? And how to respond to the seeming backwards morality that is outside of this church and oftentimes creeps into the church. 
as we dive into those messages, the truth of the matter is that these issues are very divisive. Not only do they divide the world, but it seems to me that the church has gotten caught up and is also divided when it comes to these matters instead of setting an example of how to live in unity even in the midst of disagreements. So before we move on, let's begin with a word of prayer. Let's ask Holy Spirit, deal with our broken filters because we all got them. Right? Bring healing. Let's say, God, bring renewal to this country. Is there, a, is there one or two people who still hope that God revives America, that God brings life to America? Okay. And let's pray for a great awakening, not only for this nation, but for the world. Amen? That we would turn to Christ. Why not? Why not? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. You are good and you are righteous and you are truth without corruption. And we try to receive you, but we're all broken filters. Lord, would you deal with us and Allow us the grace to accept that reality and accept that you are good. That even what we don't understand, we can trust and lean on you. And we can learn to love you and love our brethren. Lord, I'm asking for renewal for America. I'm praying for the power of your Holy Spirit to hit America. God, I'm praying that this nation would be saved by your mercy and your grace. That people would turn to you in droves, in weeping, and in repentance. Lord, I pray for the church in America that she will know who she is and the authority that you've given her. And Lord, I pray that you would give me the anointing to declare your word and receive it this morning for all of us that we would receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today what I want to do is look at Israel and look at her history. What are some things as we look at Israel and her history? What are some things that we can learn from her that may uh, be true for us, that principles that we may glean in regards to this nation and also in our personal lives? We're going to read several portions of Scripture, and we'll begin with Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 through 20. And I'm going to read uh, something to just prepare you for that Scripture. After God delivered the Israelites from Egypt and gave the Israelites laws by which they were to govern themselves so that they would not become corrupt with the things of this world, Moses wrote this book called Deuteronomy, comprised of three sermons where he reminds Israel of the commandments they are to, uh, they are to remember, the commandments that they are to keep when they are blessed by God and given the land that God has promised. The scripture reads as follows, Deuteronomy chapter 30, 15 through 20. Oh, Yes. Here you go. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, you will not hear, but are 
drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land, and that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Here you find Moses who calls Israel to make a decision. Choose life or choose death. It's bound up in the commandment of God. Will you obey or disobey? And heaven was a witness at that moment as Moses called Israel to obey God. This happened before they took over the land. Shortly after, God raises Joshua. And God uses Joshua to lead Israel into this conquering, into conquering the land that he promised. And when they begin to conquer the lands that God had given them, Joshua again reminds Israel to make a decision for God or, for, or against him. We'll read that scripture found in Joshua chapter 24. Thank you. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served before the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But for as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hmm. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who did those great signs in our sights and preserved us in the way that he went, that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Hmm. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you ever after having done you good. Hmm. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And he said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. Amen. Here again, we find that Joshua, after the people had conquered a land, calls Israel to this covenant with God and gives them a choice. This is still your choice. What will you choose today? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, generations after generations after generations after generations, God showed his faithfulness to Israel through miraculous power, through supernatural works, through judges that he rose to bring mercy and judgment to Israel, through prophets that spoke the word of God and through kings. And through it all, Israel was incapable of sustaining holiness, 
They, were, they, they chose not to obey the Lord. And at one point, God splits the nation of Israel into two. They become Israel and Judah, and both of them go astray. Israel has a slew of bad kings, and it kind of goes like this. From bad king to bad king to bad king, the worst king to the worst king ever, to bad king. And Judah had bad king, bad king, kind of good, really good, bad king, evil king. Where did this one come from? Right? And in the process of that, that narrative, uh, the scriptures teach us that at one point Israel made a decision against the will of God. And they separated themselves from, they abandoned the commandments of God. And one of the saddest portions of scripture is the narrative that relates that to us in 2 Kings chapter 17, 6 on down. Would you go ahead and read that? In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He then settled them in Hala in Gozan on the harbor river in the towns of Medes. How far am I reading? 23. All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place they burned incense, as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that provoked the Lord to anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, You shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your fathers to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their fathers who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their fathers and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do, and they did the things the Lord had forbidden them to do. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and an asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and they worshipped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sorcery and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. So the Lord was very angry with the Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left, and even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices of Israel, that Israel had introduced. Therefore the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers, until he thrust them from his presence. When he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam, son of Nebat, their king. Jeroboam enticed Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence as he had warned through all his servants, the prophets. 
So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they are still there. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. Would you give them a hand? Here, very briefly, briskly, I, I desired to show you scripture that points to the progression of Israel, the decisions that they made, and how it affected them. They go from being chosen by God, having an incredible plan uh, in front of them, God's declaration of blessing, to rejecting that plan over and over and over again, to abandoning His commandments and turning to false gods, to being rejected by God because of their actions. So we read this scripture and we see the progression of Israel. I think it paints a picture also of America. I think it paints a picture of every nation. I think it paints a picture of every individual. You see, the real deal is whether we will obey the Lord or whether we will disobey. And in it, we see something that you and I cannot ignore, and that is this. We have a choice. God has given us dominion, and he expects us to make a choice for or against him. This is fundamental in understanding life. Our lives, decisions, build momentum towards the right or towards the wrong direction. Let me repeat that again. Our lives, decisions, the decisions that we make on a daily basis, great and small, they build momentum towards the right or the wrong direction, even when God has something else in mind. Even when God has something else in mind. You see, I believe with all my heart that God is sovereign. And that means that he is in need of no one's help and no one's counsel and that he is self-sufficient. It also means that he accomplishes his will. I believe that in his sovereignty, he has chosen to give us an ability to have free will, to choose for or against him. Why do I believe that? Because the scriptures give us the, the, this example over and over again. That men have been given a choice. Will they choose to obey or to disobey? When you look, for example, of a few scriptures, I'll run those down really quickly, just a few scriptures. Number one, we see it in Adam and Eve when they chose to disobey God. God said, what have you done? He didn't say, what did I cost you to do? He said, what have, I done? What, what have you done? We see it in Genesis chapter 12 when God calls Abraham to follow after him. Abraham had to choose. We see it in Deuteronomy as he calls his people to choose life instead of death. We see it in Rahab because of her fear of the Lord chose to disobey her country in order to hide spies. And this woman, even though she wasn't a Jew, was chosen to be in the lineage of Jesus, a prostitute that God chose because she feared the Lord. We see it in Joshua as God calls his people to enter in the covenant with him. We see it in the judges as God, by his mercy, continues to do miraculous works to bring Israel to renewal to him. We see it in the major prophets who declared, return to the Lord, return to the ancient path. He takes no pleasure in the death of a man. Speak my word, Jeremiah, at the post in front of the people. Maybe they will repent of their sins and I'll turn back the wrath that I'd already sent. You see it in the minor prophets who said, God hates your gatherings. He finds them detestable that you worship him with your lips. 
but not with your hearts. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Come before him with weeping and with gnashing. And why, 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 do, you, why do you even say that you can't wait for the day of the Lord? That's like getting away from the lion to get mauled by a bear. Return to God. We see it in the Gospels. As Jesus declared, I came to set the captives free. We see it as he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will be saved. He who, does not, he who believes will be saved, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Decisions. We see it in Paul as he gave his life to reach, uh, 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 to reach even officials, and he put himself in the highest court, even though it would claim his life, only to have the opportunity to persuade a man to see if he would give his life to Christ. We see it in Peter who says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. In other words, God is not slow to bring justice and to bring the day of the Lord, but he is patient toward you. Anybody grateful that the Lord is patient toward you? Not wishing that anyone would perish, but that all should have eternal life. But some translations would say, but that all would reach repentance. Isn't God good? We have a decision to make. Some would say, well, pastor, we know that choices bring consequences. That's a simple point. Well, let me ask you this question then, if it's simple. Are we as a church recognizing the ramifications of choices? And are we living like they matter? Or are we blaming God's sovereignty for the mess that we're in? Here, repeat that again. Are we leaving things up to God's sovereignty? Are we saying, well, you know, I'm not going to worry about that. God's fulfilling His will anyway. I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to get engaged with government. I'm not going to get engaged with my community. I'm not going to get engaged with my neighbors. God will take care of that anyway. He's sovereign. Absolutely not the right response. God calls us to engage in our nation. God calls us to engage with our country, with our neighbor, to pray for our president, to pray for our government, to pray that God would move in power. We're called to be engaged. Because if we have choice, then what we're saying is is that our choices have consequences. And let me tell you the reason why I'm pointing this out in regards to national, uh, to you church, in regards to a, a national outlook is I believe that the church has power. But so often we leave things up to the suppose what you what we declare to be the sovereignty of God. And what we're doing is relinquishing our responsibility to pray and stand in the gap. Are you following me? We are to take our authority. We have a choice and we're called by God to stand in the gap for this nation. And personally, our choices as well. We're called by God to make decisions that lead toward him. Secondly, let me share this with you. God is perfect in justice. God is flawless in justice. There isn't a fault that will not be judged by our excellent God. There's a movie out there, Courageous, that point this illustration, and we've heard it before, but I'll say it again in regards to God's justice. They say, let's make believe that God, that somebody, a criminal, cold, uh, a, pre, a cold criminal uh, committed a premeditated murder of your son or your daughter. And that he stands before the judge with the guilt in his hands. He says that he's guilty and there's all kinds of evidence against him. Let's say that judge looks at him and says, 
well, it's okay, you're off the hook this time. Go ahead, go live your life. How would we feel if a judge did that to someone who took our son, took our daughters from us? We would say that judge is a criminal. That judge is crooked. That judge is wicked. And so would be God if he did not judge in excellence. Do you understand? God is perfect in justice. Because he's perfect in justice and he loves you, he provided his son. Jesus Christ came and he took the full blow of God's wrath. When God's wrath fell on Jesus, his perfect justice was fulfilled. So that whoever believes in Jesus, they will be saved from the wrath of God. Because they will be covered by this awesome sacrifice. Isn't that incredible? But if we say... We don't need that sacrifice. We'll live by our own means and by our own commands, and we'll stand before the judge with our own merits. What hope do we have? God is perfect in justice. His justice was fulfilled in His Son. Would you receive that justice today? America needs to know God is perfect in justice. All of the things that we have done, God God will bear to account. John Wesley said in one of his sermons about American slavery, is one of the greatest crimes that have ever been committed on the earth is American slavery. And they will stand before God for what they've done. Thomas Jefferson, though he barely understood the reality of Jesus and all of his fullness, he did understand justice. And he said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and his justice cannot sleep forever it is powerful to think about the justice of god and to think of god not only from his mercy but also understand his justice praise god that his mercy triumphs over judgment and that's why you and i have an opportunity to repent of our sins and turn to god and stand in the gap for our nation but one day there will be reckoning let us be reminded of that reality third i want to share this with you Why am I talking about Israel as I consider the reality of America? Because if it happened to Israel, if Israel forsook the plan of God and God brought judgment on the chosen, it could happen to us. You know, it seems to us like we live in a bubble believing that things cannot happen here. It's incredible, really, that all these years we've lived in a place where not one missile has crossed on the top of our houses. We live in total peace and we have no idea that we have it. I saw a bumper sticker many years ago that said, I can't wait till our armies have to sell cookies to have their funds and that the schools have all the monies they need. I said, what kind of idiotic statement is that? What makes you think you have the privilege of education without a military? The things that we say Because we live in a bubble of blessing and we have no idea how much peace we have. We have no idea. But let me tell you something. This peace is temporary if there isn't real repentance. You know, Jeremiah says, you keep declaring peace, peace when there is no peace. I mean, don't live in the falsehood that things are going to be okay and things will remain the same. The reality is, judgment... Judgment may be on the it's on the way. Man, I could we could make a case that judgment is already visiting us. 
If it happened to Israel, it can happen to us. You know, let us not disconnect the present reality of our world to the reality of the Israelites. We may think, well, we're more informed, we're more educated today. We will never bow down to worship these false gods and these wooden images and all these things. We're just smarter than that. But let me tell you what those wooden images represented. They represented self-centeredness. They represented power, sex, and money. Now, do you think this country battles with that? Second Timothy chapter 3 In the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. Instead of loving God, they'll be seeking for their wealth, boastful, abusive to parents, disobedient, unholy, ungrateful, and unforgiving. Are we seeing that today? Having a form of godliness, but no power. You know the morality that still exists in America? You know what that morality is? A form of godliness when Jesus isn't there. Let me just tell you something. I can have the right morals. If I have no Jesus, I'm still lost. Are you with me? That's a form of godliness with no power. All kinds of information. Always learning but never attaining the truth. Isn't that our culture? You can YouTube everything. Google it. You can Google Always learning. Somehow, we are so far from the truth today. Isn't that incredible? The Bible called it, didn't it? If it happened to Israel, it can happen to us. Same gods they serve. They're the same gods and the same spirits manifesting today. And then I want to end with this. The hope of this country, the hope of this country does not rest on the shoulders of a precedent. It doesn't rest on the passing of a law. The hope of this country does not even rest on the Supreme Court. The hope of this country rests on the shoulders of a praying church. The hope of this country rests on the shoulders of a praying church. Let me tell you something. Democracy is good. What democracy does, it makes you and I kings and queens. Why? Because it gives us the power of deciding who will lead us. That's an incredible privilege that as Christians, we have a responsibility to engage in so that we can be the light and the salt of the earth. Regardless of how different we may vote, the reality is that we vote according to our conscience and our God uh, our, uh, because we fear the Lord, right? In honor of God, regardless of how different our votes may be, we take that up. But let me tell you something. No precedent can save this country. Supreme Court can't save this country. Congress cannot save this country. So don't let anyone stand before you tell you this lie. When I become president, America will be great again. How dare you? Who do you think you are? It's not the reality. Listen carefully. Pay attention to what's being said to you and remember this. You don't need another Messiah. You already got one. His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. The hope of America, then, is us. The hope of this nation is you and I. Why do I believe that? Because 2 Chronicles seven fourteen says this, If my people, not if the president, not if the government, not if the worldly, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, repent of their sins and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, And I will heal their land. 
Think about that. If the church would turn to God in prayer and in fasting, He would forgive our sins and heal our land. That's the reality. That's the promise God gave His church, not the government, not the president. So my call today is one, will you pray? Will you stop abnegating your responsibility and will you pray? Will you stop being relaxed about the fact that there are young men signed up right now in the military who are fighting so that you would have the freedom that you have, so that you can pray and stand in the gap and engage? Would you recognize that lives have paved the way for you to have this freedom to be the light? Would you recognize that there's an anointing and an authority that you have that you cannot relinquish and give it to your government or to your president? God's called you to prophesy. God's called you to stand in the gap. God's called you to get dreams at night and pray for your president. Not slander him. No matter how much you disagree with him, to honor and pray for him. Where is the church? Where is the church? If we don't believe enough to pray, judgment does begin with the house of God. So Laura was sharing with me that Brenda just shared with her today that she was at a Keith Green concert in Washington, D.C., way back when. And there, as Keith Green, was, it was a time of prayer, correct? It was a time of fasting and praying for the nation at Washington, D.C., March for Jesus. He was leading worship. It was raining, and people were just kind of unable to pray. And so Keith Green walked out of the stage and said, you guys, you guys can't, a little rain's going to keep you back from praying for your nation? And he walked out of that stage. But when he walked out of that stage, it left an imprint in their hearts and in their lives. And people began to intercede. Mm. Listen to this. All of a sudden, we, when he walks out, people are convicted and they begin to weep. And they begin to cry for their country. With their umbrellas and their blanket, they're just weeping for their nation. They're standing in the gap asking for God to move. What will move us? What's going to move us? How many lives of the, how many unborn lives have to die before we are moved to prayer? How many laws, how many things have to be redefined before we're moved to prayer? How much more do we have to lose? How much ground do we have to lose before we're moved to prayer? Will you pray with me? Will you stand in the gap and stand in the gap for your country? Are there anyone here who has served in the military at one point in their lives? Would you stand right now?
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for serving. Their lives matter. Our freedom matters. And our authority is given by God. Let's stand and pray.